Let's pray. In the, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We ask that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, clarify within our minds and hearts anything that needs to be cleansed from our souls. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay. This Living the Faith is uh, called Purify Your Mind, uh, the Benefits of Media Fasting. And this is something that I've done for some years now, gotten a huge spiritual benefits from. So I wanted to share publicly, really, on the deepest level that I have, um, how I think about it, how I process it, and then some of the effects that I've noticed over time. So the first thing to think about when we're talking about fasting or media fasting at all, and we use the word purification, is what's purification? That's the basic stuff. Purification, spiritual purification, is basically the process where everything that's evil is taken out of our thoughts and our choices and our desires. Like evil can mix with all of those things. And so if we're purified, that evil is taken out of them. The reason we go through a, a process of purification is because that evil changes us in a myriad of ways. Thousands and thousands and thousands of different ways. It makes us less like our true selves, make us, makes us less like God, less happy, less peaceful, less in love with him, less able to be loved by him. It just affects us like terribly negatively. So at some point in our lives, um, our adult lives, we have to make the decision to get everything out of our life that could even possibly make us evil. Anything that's in the world, the flesh, and the devil, and go a totally different direction. So that moment looks different uh, for different people. For some of us, it's a real Saul getting knocked down on the road by the glory of God kind of experience. For some of us, it's just like a realization one day that, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with anything that would get in our way of going to heaven. If there's any obstacle in our life, we just want to get the obstacles out. Whatever it is, it's a turning point. It's a decision we make to reject one thing for the sake of something else. And that's what fasting is. That's the basics of fasting. We're uh, just a few days away from Lent now, and uh, the church gives us three things to concentrate on when we're in the season of Lent. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. The reason she gives us fasting is because she knows that during the course of the year, we've probably let some stuff into our lives that we shouldn't have. And some of those things might have even become codified in our soul as habits. Habits that make it even harder for us to be Christian, to live as a Christian, to live as a Catholic. So she asks us to really stop and take stock of who we are and what we're into. And that's what Lent is. You know, what are we letting into ourselves? So we reject some things for the sake of higher, better things. Now, the standard is, for whatever reason, chocolate. Like chocolate, coffee, bean derivatives. And uh, 
for whatever reason. And so, like, I remember as a kid, you know, it was a very sort of like, okay, what are you giving up? Oh, what are you giving up? Like, as we lived our godless pagan lives, you know, like, it was just sort of like this checkbox that you did. Now, totally great, totally fine to give up uh, coffee and chocolate and, and whatever creature in the world that you want to give up as a, a spiritual practice. That's fantastic. The problem, though, is that just giving those things up for the sake of giving them up, it doesn't have a huge impact on our heart. Chances are we're not like mortally sinfully attached to chocolate. It's possible, but, but it's not probable. And so what I've noticed is that the things that really get us, the things that really draw us away from Jesus, from knowing and loving the real Jesus, are usually what we become habituated to in the world, the flesh and the devil. That's the real stuff that's pulling us down. That's the real stuff that is creating an obstacle to our salvation. So real fast, let's do a, just a brief overview of world, flesh, devil. The world, when we say the world, we're referring to the secular world. Everything it has, everything it thinks, everything it wants. It's buying a bunch of stuff we don't need. It's thinking about physical reality all the time. It's pursuing jobs or fame or money or power, like whatever is terrestrial. Like that's the world. The flesh is our own fallen state with everything it wants and everything it tempts us to. And our flesh is like a petulant little child that just is constantly nagging for something that's not good for it. Like I would do this as a kid. I think most of us did this as kids. Give me more food. Give me more money. Give me more respect. Give me more debt, like whatever. It was a very like gimme, gimme, gimme kind of an attitude. And so the flesh is like constantly pulling on us uh, to feed its desires. Whatever they are, whenever they are. Got to be this like immediate thing. And the devil is the devil. He's an immensely powerful angel um, that carefully plans 24 hours a day, seven days a week to kill any goodness in our hearts so that he can hopefully one day drag us to hell. He's smarter than us. He's more powerful than us. He's more organized than us. He never sleeps. He never forgets anything. And he's always one step ahead. To try to fight him on our own is like trying to play chess against someone that's like a million moves ahead. It's totally impossible. His intellect is so far beyond the human intellect. There's no way we can defeat him on our own power. And so these three things, world, flesh, devil, are coming at us all the time. That is the nature of this fallen life. They're just coming at us all the time. And I would argue that all three of them, they share kind of a primary conduit. They share a very similar road that they like to travel into our hearts in the post-postmodern world. And it's media. Media is a modern miracle. You know, I'm old enough to remember a time before the internet. An unthinkable thing now. But it was actually pretty great. Like, my favorite thing about it was that when you were out, you were out. 
you could be in Oregon, you could be in North Korea, there'd be no way to tell like where you were. There's just no way to tell. And so you felt like this detachment that was actually very renewing. I loved it. But our tech changed that. And uh, we became a lot more dependent on just getting information about everything all the time. That in and of itself is not bad. You can get amazing, edifying things just shot straight into your brain now. That's great. But most of the time, it's not the case. Most of the time, the vast majority of media that's produced is secular. And secular media is essentially watching or listening to the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what it is. Here's how we can tell that. I would argue that there's actually a discernible mark of the beast, if you will, uh, on media that's inspired by and created by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so I've picked out four signs. And all of these signs and steps that I mentioned tonight, you're going to get in a handout at the end. So you don't have to uh, write them all down right now. The four signs are, uh, let's do five. Okay, five signs are, it contains blasphemy or cursing. So the use of the holy name of Jesus as a curse word, um, the use of the word God in the context of a damnation, um, even foul words like the F word that refer to vile forms of the sexual act. Like these are strewn all throughout everything, it seems. Two, it contains sacrilege. So this is when something or someone that's holy is desecrated or there's uh, witchcraft or divination. So I might have mentioned the example uh, a few months ago, but I, I was watching some dumb show that would seem fairly innocuous, maybe about six or eight months ago. And in the context of the show, they summoned Baphomet, which, you know, if you know anything about Baphomet, it's like the goat-headed demon with the female top and the male <clears throat> bottom, and the kids are like at his feet. It's Satan. He's usually in a big pentagram and whatnot. Baphomet in like a different form. And uh, they were doing some crazy ritual that involved like desecrating a rosary and drenching it in blood or something. And it just like came like out of nowhere. That's sacrilege. That's the mark of it. Three, it contains graphic sexual acts. So these do not um, further the plot. They just don't, no matter how much somebody argues for that. They're meant to stimulate the reproductive system. And the only moral scenario where you can have your reproductive system stimulated is in the context of a valid marriage by your spouse. That's it. There is no other context. So to have someone codify it in a visual or heard manner is one of these marks. Four, it contains hateful violence. So this is violence for violence's sake that seeks to usurp God's justice from him. Basically the spirit of revenge or vengeance. And five, this one's a little more broad, it contains any mortal sin, any serious sin portrayed as just normal. So secular media storylines are often built around people doing things that 
if they did them, if one did them and didn't repent of them before they died, they'd be condemned to hell. And so the hero or the anti-hero, you know, whoever we're supposed to be rooting for, is committing these serious sins. And we're being tacitly asked to be okay with that and to be on board with that in the rooting for them, in the following their story. And this, in a very complex, subtle way, can desensitize us to doing evil ourselves. It may not be as grave as what they're portrayed as doing, but it can lead us to like, well, you know, I'm not doing anything like that's bad, but it's still softening us to doing things that are hurting us. So if we ingest media that contains these things, and it pangs our conscience, we have this moment where we're like, ugh. And if we're not totally and utterly desensitized, or sociopaths, it should, on some level, right? We feel that internal like, ugh. And we go ahead with it anyway and say, well, I don't like that. I don't like that aspect of the story, but I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to relax here, man. You know, like, what do you, what do you want from me? Here's the thing. If you remember nothing else from this talk tonight, remember this. What we're really doing in our will is saying yes to everything that that media contains. Even toleration of something we're opposed to is a yes. It may not be a full-blown, totally on board with it, ordering the stuff I need to do it right now on my phone while I watch it, like I'm in. It might not be like that level, but it's a yes on some level. So deep in our heart, we've said yes to blasphemy and cursing and sacrilege and vengeance and any of these serious sins that we choose to see or hear and not avert our hearts and our eyes from, that has consequences. It has a lot of consequences. Tonight, I'm just going to point out three. And you may jive with this. You may notice this just from your empirical experience of being a human in a world with a lot of tech. One, it weakens our desire for holiness. So a lot of us have had an experience where we go on a retreat, like maybe we have a good confession on that retreat, and I got good conversations, and everybody's like on board, and we feel close to the Lord. We get back to our house, we get back to our apartment, we turn the TV on, and we like watch a bunch of stuff, and you just don't feel great. After that, after a few days of that, a few weeks of that, don't feel like praying, don't feel like being a saint, don't feel like going to Mass. The joy in Jesus and our faith is just kind of lessened or it's gone. And it may be that there wasn't even anything in that stuff that we said was terribly egregious in our own estimation. But the feeling's there. And it's undeniable that that fire of the Holy Spirit has been put out a little bit. Two, it causes our peace to waver. So we've enjoyed a bit of stillness of heart. And if you have any intimacy with the Lord, you know he speaks in the stillness of your heart. Like if you've got a bunch of like crazy stuff going on, it's like it's very hard to hear. So we've enjoyed that on some level, and it's replaced with agitation, 
repetitive sexual thoughts, delight in vengeance, or just kind of this general acceptance of turning to the world to get what we think we need rather than to the Lord. It slowly manipulates that mechanism inside of us. And three, this is connected to the aforementioned point, it primes us to mimic what we've willingly taken into ourselves. It primes us to mimic it. So the old saying is true, garbage in, garbage out. And so if those things are willfully let into our souls, then on some level, they're in. And they're just sitting there, kind of like rotting away at our spiritual insides until uh, something happens to get them out. And while they're there, they make us weak. They just weaken us. And we start to think slowly over time that it's okay to commit more and more grievous sin. Takes a while, but it's there and it's just happening. So if we know that, we know all this, and I think most of us do to a certain degree, why don't we stop? Why do we continue to tolerate these things that the world produces? I think it's because a lot of us to varying degrees are actually addicted to it. Like we can get addicted to anything. And whenever we encounter anything we like, neurologically, we get a dopamine spike. And so when we find some kind of media that we like, and it soothes us, it does something for us, it gives us some sort of pleasure, we generally go to it over and over again. If it works, quote unquote, like, oh, that works. I watch Tiny Home Nation and I just get this huge hit of dopamine. I I don't even know if that's a real show. I just thought it's it's just people like small houses now for some reason. So the reason that we just keep going back to it and back to it and back to it is because we get relief from it. We just keep getting that relief from it. And it releases this crucial neurotransmitter in our brain. And that gives us an affection for it. St. Francis de Sales talks about this in the beginning of Introduction to the Devout Life. He's explaining to Philothea like, <clears throat> what it's like to detach from sin. He's like, absolutely, detach from sin. But if you, if you really want to go hard in the paint, detach from your affection for sin. That's a much more efficacious thing to do. So over time, we just get an affection for things that gives us relief. This is a cycle that I think most modern people are in. Um, we're just kind of raised in it, right? And our tech has made it easier than ever to do it, to indulge in it. You can crush a whole season of blasphemous, diabolic, sex-ridden content while you're waiting in the dentist's office. You know, it's just like right there, like right into your, into your brain, no problem. So that's true, and it is. Um, here's my recommendation. I think we should turn our backs on a world that's already turned its back on us. Like this doesn't mean not preaching the gospel to people who need to hear it. Not talking about that at all. 
I'm saying rejecting, saying no to the spirit of the world. It doesn't have our best interest in mind. It doesn't love us. It doesn't care for us. It just wants money and power and things of this world. So to have a moment where we really like turn our back on it, this is why we media fast. This is why we detox from all of this stuff. Because with all of that world and that flesh and that devil, like turning around in our memory and our imagination and our emotions and our hearts, and like we're thinking about storylines like later in the day and all this, it can be really hard to get holy and hear the voice of Jesus. It at least makes it harder. And for some of us, it makes it impossible. At some point, we just have to make the decision to turn away from anything that's not making us holier and bringing us closer to Jesus. This is a crucial step on the path to sainthood. It's a crucial step on the path to becoming who we really are. So I got four suggestions on how to make this transition. If you want to try this out. And here at St. Patrick's, we all do it for um, Lent. It's the principal fast that we do for Lent. One, do it for a short time first. So like Lent is a perfect time to do a media fast because it has a definite beginning and it has a definite end. And we're already in the mind frame of giving something up for the sake of the condition of our souls. We're already primed for it. It'll be super hard the first two weeks if you've never done it before, especially. After that, you click into the groove. Okay, but two weeks is going to be a bear. Two, don't do it alone. Okay, have a buddy. Have at least one person that's doing it with you. They are in it to win it. And you can lean on them. You can lean on each other heavy daily and talk about your struggles in it during that fast. Three, and this is a big one. This might be the biggest one. Don't create a media vacuum. Okay, so I think in my estimation, the most common mistake people make when they're trying to do this for the first time is they go from as much news and as many shows and movies and YouTube videos and like, whatever they want, podcast, to silence. And it drives them crazy, right? So like if you're used to all those dopamine spikes throughout the day, like all day long, and you just sit in the same sad new silence like all day, probably not going to make it, probably not going to go well. So here's what I recommend. Especially if you're new to it, Flood your eyes and your ears with good Christian or Catholic content. Let it just flood into you. Crush the formed. You know, chug the hallow app. Like engorge yourself with Angel Studios. Just like ingest as much Christian media as is necessary to push away the temptation to stop the fast. But don't create a vacuum. Four, don't break on Sundays. Controversial, okay? I love a little controversy. I like stirring the pot. Um, I know we're allowed to break from our fasts on Sundays. 
Each Sunday is a little Easter. But with a media fast, I think it actually requires like a more sustained practice to actually get out of it what you're trying to get out of it. True purification and detachment from these things in the world flesh devil. So eat a moderate amount of cake, have a beer instead. Okay, but keep doing the media fast through the whole time. If you do this, you're going to notice some things. If you push through and actually do it by the grace of God, here's some things that I've noticed. You're just going to be more peaceful in general. It's going to be easier to pray. You have a, an increased desire to know Jesus and pursue holiness. He just seems more real and closer. Holy things are going to be more attractive to you as you have less distraction from unholy things. You'll be able to see the world, the flesh, and the devil a lot clearer and want them a lot less. Their true nature will be revealed to you. You'll be more impervious to temptation and being deceived because you won't be flooded with it all the time. Your priorities are going to align better with things that are better for you. You're going to be able to discern in the Holy Spirit, in your heart, a lot more accurately than you have, because your heart will be cleared up. And you'll just be happier. Not at first. You're going to be miserable. But like after you get past that, you're going to be happier and you're going to be more consistently happy more of the time. I promise you that. Because you'll be closer to the proximate goal of this entire life, which is holiness and purity. Purity in your mind to think beautiful things. Purity in your heart to want true things. Purity in your emotions to love good things. These are the kind of hearts that Jesus dwells in. These are the kind of hearts that slip seamlessly into heaven when the time comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us the grace to engage this fast in a way that we will be successful. We acknowledge before you that we're powerless to do it on our own. So fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can know you deeper and more intimately this Lent than we ever have in our lives. Bless all of those gathered here, all of those listening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.